It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello, welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show, and I'm honored that you're joining us today. For listeners in the U.S., I'd like to wish you a uh, happy Veterans Day. Now, most of you uh, know that uh, Veterans Day was officially on uh, Sunday, November 11th, and I've definitely had veterans on my mind recently. Some number of years ago, our government officials decided that, gee, we should have all of the holidays on a Monday, either just before or just after the uh, actual holiday. So this general rule was that they would be on Mondays. Now, as many general rules, that one has exceptions. For example, Thanksgiving Day in the U.S. is uh, celebrated on the 4th Thursday of November. And uh, I just noticed we don't have our chat window up there. At least let me try that again, Pete. Uh, hopefully you can get that chat window up here shortly. I'm still not seeing it. Um, but anyway, the thir- so there's there's one exception. Thanksgiving, celebrated the fourth Thursday of, of uh, uh, November, and that's coming up shortly. It's not celebrated on the Monday just before or just after. Christmas is another, and that one happens to be a double anomaly. First, it's not held on a Monday. It's held on the 25th of December. And secondly, the U.S. has decided that we really shouldn't have any religious holidays or religious events imposed on others nor celebrated in government institutions like schools. And yet Christmas, an important Christian holiday, is an official day off for the government. Isn't that funny? For that matter, they actually take an extended Christmas break. Don't you love general rules? The fact that you're joining us live today is um, means that if you change your clocks, and so many parts of the world do, you also remembered that we don't change our time. So congratulations. And there's another general rule that everybody changes their clocks back in the fall and forward in the spring. Just like holidays, it's a general rule, except for some of them. And here's an exception. Arizona is one of those that does not change their clocks. And Pete, we're still not seeing that chat window. So just a reminder, if you can uh, pull that up, that would be a big help. Uh, I will try sending you a quick uh, uh, reminder another way in case you are happen to be working on something else. So... Anyway, today we're covering a topic so fundamental to investing. 
it's not just a general rule. It's a fundamental of investing. And some of you may criticize us for not covering it earlier. What is the topic? Building your pyramid. And we're not talking about the pyramids built millenniums ago in Egypt and Mexico. We're talking about your investment pyramid. Okay? If you indeed think we should have covered this topic earlier, then as we talk about the types of investments you should have in each level of your pyramid, you'll start to realize that we had to cover at least an overview of each of these investments in order for all of this to make sense. That's one of the difficulties of learning about uh, personal finance and investing, and it's also a, a dilemma with sharing information about them. There's no logical sequence that doesn't require some prior uh, knowledge. So that's, that's one of those uh, dilemmas in putting a show like this together, is what sequence can you have it in so that people understand the topic. Now, our topic today, like the Ten Commandments of Investing, but unlike those general rules instituted by government, this topic applies to everyone. Yes, you are legally entitled to ignore everything I cover on the show and do something totally different with your portfolio, or you might even do the exact opposite. Unfortunately, neither I nor most others will feel sorry for you if you don't reach financial independence because you chose to ignore this fundamental structure for your portfolio. For that matter, if you complain to me, I might remind you that in November of 2012, we held a show on this topic. We even did it in a multimedia format, so you could keep a copy of the presentation to remind you of those key messages. Hmm. Especially the types of investments that belong in each level. Today is November 12th, 2012. It's 9.05 in Phoenix, Arizona, 11.05 on the East Coast, and 6.05 p.m. in continental Europe. You're listening to the Vault DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. This show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, or if you want to go back and re-listen to some shows, Maybe on some of the investments that I mentioned today, you can hear them on the archives. Just go to wealthdna.us, where we list each of them, and um, that includes both upcoming and archived shows. Now, for those curious about the U.S. equity markets after the week that ended the 2012 election season, which was a bad week for the markets, the U.S. markets, by the way, are open despite a holiday. And they're off to a flat start. I will recheck that because they were actually up a little bit and then they kind of went to nowhere. Now, actually down a little bit now. So definitely, let's call it mixed better. Asia was mixed with China up and Japan down pretty dramatically. Europe is mixed and Brazil is pretty flat. Incidentally, for those of you, whether in the U.S. or elsewhere in the world, that are relieved that the 2012 election season is finally finished in the U.S., I should forewarn you. The end of the 2012 election season happens to be beginning of two new seasons. And I'm not referring to winter nor to hockey season. It marks the beginning of the season of broken promises. It also marks the beginning of the 2014 election season. 
So, there you go. Relieved and something to look forward to. In recent radio shows, I've mentioned that 2012 has been unusually calm and positive for the equity markets. I mentioned that as a result, we were more likely to see increasing volatility and see a decline in the next few months, rather than to continue calmly going up. Now, the market is down a little since the peak. If I use the S&P 500 as an indicator, it's down about 6.5% since the peak two months ago. Volatility has risen a little as well from that date. If I use the VIX as an indicator, it's up 28%. But I'm not convinced that it's over. I'd be more convinced that the correction is over when the VIX would be up 100% or more. Now, as regular listeners know, that's not the purpose of the show. To try to give you my predictions about the equity markets will do, uh, whether over the next day, the week, month, or even year, the real purpose of this show is to cover the fundamentals of investing. But as we go through the topic of building your pyramid today, I'd like to think about how this upcoming volatility would affect your portfolio. If you structured it in the way that I suggest during the show, or if you just kept your portfolio the way it's currently structured, or maybe if you structured your portfolio the way a typical stockbroker might suggest for you. Are you ready to dig in? During the show, I'd like to involve not just your ears and your imagination. So we set this show up in our unique multimedia format. So those of you listening from the comfort of your home, your office, maybe a hotel room, or a restaurant with a Wi-Fi connection, you can follow along by viewing several slides we prepared for you. The link to those slides is available on our website, wealthdna.us, or available on the invitation we sent, and it's also available to the right-hand side of the radio player. There is in blue text, uh, about halfway down, a, uh, it says build your pyramid. That blue text is a hyperlink. will take you to the presentation. In addition, I was hoping to send you the, uh, the thing through the chat window. And somehow we're not getting the chat window up here, Pete. I don't know uh, if there's something not set properly. Anyway, so we don't have the chat window operating yet. Uh, I will send it when I see that chat window come up. But basically, uh, you'll find it in one of those three places, or if you type in your browser, tiny.cc uh, slash buildyourpyramid, all one word, buildyourpyramid. So tiny.cc slash buildyourpyramid. That's the link we've set up for that presentation. And I'll remind you, uh, once that chat window is up, it's a great place to ask questions and share your comments to the show. And of course, the other way to do is to call us. The call-in number is shown at the top of the webpage, 917-388-4162. It's also a way for some of our listeners to tune into the show while they drive, travel the metro or subway, or maybe even on a train. Now, an important note here, if you happen to be driving a car or driving a bus or even a truck, just listen. Don't pull up the presentation. If you're listening for the archive, there is a link in the text to the right side of the radio player that takes you to that presentation again. That's the text in blue that uh, you just click on. It takes you to the presentation. Okay, now let's dig into our topic, building your pyramid. If you have the presentation in front of you, we'll move right on to page two. Uh, we'll cover what an investment pyramid is, why it's important, and how you'd get started. The bulk of our time will be spending on which investments you should have at each, each level of your pyramid. We'll also talk about how the pyramid 
is used at the time you retire. So let's move on to um, the uh, next page, and that's page four. Uh, sorry, page four. That's page three of the presentation. Now, unlike Paul Har Harvey's infamous radio show, when I mention the page number, that does not mean it's time for a commercial break. He used to use that phrase. And now, time for page two, and he didn't interject his commercial break. So no, unlike Paul Harvey's show, uh, page three means we're going to the next page of the presentation. So uh, it is, why am I showing it as page two? Oh, that's interesting. Page one, page two. Oh, no, that's a three. Okay, my, my screen is just a little bit small. So page three of the presentation, you'll see a, uh, it says, what is an investment pyramid? Very simply, it's a graphical way to depict the way you should be structuring your portfolio. So even if you don't have the presentation in front of you, I think you still can picture a pyramid. It's a triangular shape. The base is much wider than the top, which is basically a point. Some people refer to it as the investment risk pyramid, which is also an appropriate name. If you're planning to build a massive pyramid, and I certainly hope you're planning your portfolio to be large, you should picture it as having floors or levels. The bottom floor, or the bottom level, has the most square footage or square meters, and that floor space decreases as you move up the levels of the pyramid. Depending on the financial advisor you talk to or the financial book you read on this topic, some of them will subdivide the pyramid into three floors, others four, uh, others will use five levels. Many years ago, I chose to refer them as four levels. Now, if you look at the logo that BI Solutions uses at the very bottom of the page, you'll notice that happens to be a pyramid with four levels. This is not a coincidence. Now, in addition to the size difference between each of these levels, there's an important distinction between each level. The, the uh, bottom level, their bottom floor, however you want to view it, has the lowest risk and the lowest reward. And each level higher has an increasing risk-reward. So the very top of your pyramid is the highest risk and highest reward. Some people might remember this better if I use the analogy of an organizational chart. So if you view that as an organizational chart, at the bottom or entry level, the employees are paid less and there's very little risk that their actions will negatively or positively impact the overall company as long as they do the prescribed job properly. Now, as you move up the organizational structure, there are fewer managers than there are employees, and those managers tend to earn a little bit more and have more influence on the outcome of the company. At the top level, you have executives which take home larger paychecks, but also have a lot more responsibility for the financial success of the organization. The few people at the top level have a higher influence on the outcome than the many people at the bottom. Now, although every person in that organization has a role, obviously, in the organization's success, there is a difference in how much they influence the outcome. Now, imagine a company that had a 1,000 executives. In other words, the pyramid were upside down. a 1,000 executives, 500 managers, and maybe 25 employees doing the actual work. How well do you think that organization would do financially? So any time in the future when you hear the topic of an investment pyramid come up, hopefully you can picture this. 
with four levels, and you'll remember that the base is the lowest risk-reward and the top, the highest risk-reward. The investment pyramid is merely a way to visualize how your portfolio should be structured. Now, hopefully you've realized we're talking about is a pyramid, and specifically your investment pyramid, which is your portfolio. Sometimes when you hear the word uh, pyramid, excuse me, you might associate it with a pyramid scheme, which is set up to enrich the designer of the pyramid scheme by defrauding investors. That's not what we're talking about today. Let's move on to page four of the presentation, which is headed, Why Does It Matter? Let's talk about uh, why this investment period indeed matters, why you should care about it. What difference does it make? Recall I mentioned it is a fundamental of investing, just like the Ten Commandments of investing. When you structure your portfolio with the proper pyramid structure, chances are you'll have very good results. Now, if you decide to deviate like the company with a 1,000 executives, and structure it differently, chances are you'll have bad results. Now, those results may not be bad in, in the short term. In other words, everything works okay for a while. They almost certainly will be bad in the long term. And think about the organizational structure. A thousand executives, 25 employees doing all the work. Will they be successful? Unfortunately, most new investors or people with a fairly small portfolio look for shortcuts. They might rationalize with, why should I take the time to gradually build my pyramid? I don't have enough time for that. If these people invested all their money in high-risk, high-return re investments, they'd grow their portfolio faster. And they'll have the time to restructure it into pyramid later, or so they think. That argument always reminds me of the quality mantra. Why is it we don't have time to do it right in the first place? but then we have to find the time to do it over again. Besides, some of these people that think that way have heard from many financial advisors that when you're young and you have a long-term time horizon, you can afford to take more risk. If you happen to lose a little money in the early years, you still have plenty of time for these high-risk, high-reward investments to catch up and outperform that boring stuff. The interesting thing is that advice is generally true. Oh, do we have something that disagrees with itself here? Well, that is a general rule. The investment pyramid is a fundamental principle. So let's take this general rule. If we take two investors side by side, and the first has, let's say, a 60-year investment horizon, very young, doesn't plan to retire until they're 65, 70, 80, and the other has a 10-year investment horizon because he's about to retire in 10 years, then certainly the first investor can take more risks since they do indeed have more time to make up for the volatility in portfolio. So again, general rule happens to be true. Therefore, the younger investor might decide to ignore this whole pyramid concept and go ahead and invest all the money in the high-risk, high-reward investments. And the investor with a 10-year horizon might decide to play very conservatively. Since he's only got 10 years left, he doesn't want to lose any money. So he sticks with bank CDs so they don't have any risk of losses. So both follow this general rule they heard from these various financial advisors, and it's very, like, very likely that neither of their portfolios does what a portfolio should do for them.
Hmm. Just like those general rules about holidays and changing clocks, they have exceptions. And the exceptions we run into during our life, we just simply refer to them as life happens. Let's take a couple examples of life happening. Let's start with the older investor, whose objective is to save aggressively and make sure he doesn't lose anything in the meantime in these 10 years. So he puts away $10,000 per year. That's a good savings rate. And with compounding during his 10-year time horizon and not having any losses, he figures he should be able to retire very comfortably. Is he right? Well, he effectively earns 0% on after-tax on those investments in bank CDs. So that retiree ends up with $100,000 as his nest egg. And unless that retiree has sufficient income from Social Security or from pensions, he's not going to have a very comfortable retirement. That $100,000 won't last very long, especially if he has any health problems. Hmm, didn't work as he planned. Now picture that younger investor who manages to put away, let's say, $1,000 a year and invests it in aggressive growth stocks. Now, that investor happened to lose 70% of it during the dot-com bubble because those stocks dropped like crazy. But no problem, he has plenty of time to make up for the losses, remember? So he continues to put away the $1,000 per year and has another 45% loss during 2008. Again, no problem since he has plenty of time to make up for it, right? Now life happens, and our younger investor loses his job at the end of 2008. Now for those of you with a decent memory, you'll recall that 2008, early 2009, the job market is awful. Actually, it still is. The money he's put away is worth very little. In the midst of the worst recessions and the Great Depression, finding a new job isn't easy. Oh, and did I mention that traveling to job interviews is going to cost him $4 per gallon for gasoline? Now, of course, our listeners in Europe, Asia, and most of the rest of the world are saying, wow, $4 per gallon, what a deal. We're used to paying between 6 and $10 per gallon. But in the U.S., that's a pretty high number. And remember the financial advisor that shared this general rule that younger investors can be more aggressive. That financial investor, uh, sorry, financial advisor really had good intentions. And I will remind you, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Hopefully I've started to convince you at least a few listeners, if not yet you, that just maybe it might be worth taking a look at this investment pyramid. So you might start to wonder, how do you get started? Hmm. Well, before we move on to page five to cover that, you're tuned into the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Uh, if you missed some of the prior shows, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on WealthDNA.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, you can do one of two things, or of course both. Send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us, and we'll keep you posted about future shows and events, or in the upper left side of your screen, just under the Boom and the Babes picture, follow, uh, click the follow button. You'll be informed of each of the great shows on the Boom and the Babe Network. 
Now, a reminder, during the show, and generally we would have a chat window up, and I don't see it up yet here. Pete, you're falling down on the job. Um, and um, I guess we'll use an excuse that a lot of businesses are on, on, on uh, uh, off today because of the holiday, and uh, he hasn't been able to get that chat window up. Anyway, so the chat window is not up yet, but when it does come up, that's a good way to uh, put in some questions or comments, or you can call in 917-388-4162. Today we're talking about building your port- your pyramid. Well, building your portfolio too, but building your pyramid. So far, we've covered the basics. And if you bring up the presentation that we prepared to help you visualize and remember some of these concepts, we just finished page four, and we're ready to move on to page five. Incidentally, as a listener of this show, along with the two investors in my example, you're already far ahead of about fifty percent of the population in the world. That other 50% don't have any savings and therefore don't invest. In a future show, I'll explain that governments actually put policies in place to make sure these people don't save any money and invest. Surprising, scary, but true. The very first step of getting started is saving more. I didn't flip over to page five here so I can fill out my own notes, huh? Is saving some of the money that you earn. So let's go back to your very first paycheck. Hopefully from that first paycheck, you saved a little. Even if it was little as a dollar, or a euro, or one pound sterling, or even one yen. Well, okay, I'll admit one yen would be too little. But with that first bit of savings, you had a dilemma you might never consciously have thought about. What was that dilemma? What do you do with this money you saved? Now, hopefully you've noticed in our various shows that part of my approach is to keep things simple, to break them down to the basic steps and basic options. In the case of what to do with the first amounts saved, I will share a structure with you. And I will assure you that there are only four things that you can do with that money. So we'll keep it simple. You see, savings and investing isn't all that complicated. You just need to step back and break it down to these basics. What are your options? Well, first, you could spend it, which, of course, means the money you saved is now gone since you just spent it. Second, you could lend it. And, of course, I'm not talking about lending it to a friend to buy a hamburger today with a promise he'll gladly pay you back on Tuesday. I'm talking about lending it to earn a return. Thirdly, you could invest it. Invest it to own something, like a share of stock. Fourth, you could give it away. Maybe to a charity or to that friend for a hamburger, since he probably won't pay you back. And fifth of the four options, since this isn't really a conscious option, is you could lose it. Not a conscious option, but it can happen. You probably won't be surprised if during this show and all of the shows here, we'll focus on options number two and three. Lending it or investing it to own something. Now, many of you will recognize this is the two basic ways to invest that we've talked about on this show. You can loan or you can own. Whichever option you choose, that first amount saved should be going to the base of your pyramid. Got that? To the base of your pyramid. Why should it go to the base instead of the second or third or fourth level? Well, building a pyramid today is no different than building a pyramid a thousand years ago, or building a house, you first have to build the foundation. You can't put up a ceiling or roof without walls, and you can't have walls 
without a foundation. So the base of your pyramid is intended to generate income for the future and be available for a rainy day. Just because you're young and have a long investment horizon does not mean you won't have a rainy day, like losing a job. As a matter of fact, I can predict with a very high degree of probability that a young person will have far more rainy days than somebody who's 50 or 60 years old. Now let's move on to page 6 of the presentation. And I'll give you an overview, a brief overview of which investments belong at each level. And keep in mind, we'll spend more time on each of these. I just want to give you the overview first. So, you're ready to use your first savings. Your first savings, you're going to either loan or own. And as I said, my advice is to put in the base of the pyramid. Which investments are appropriate? Well, in the base, we want it either be cash or income producing and would want those income-generating assets to be very liquid so they can be converted to cash on that rainy day. The second level will be providing growth and income. In a few minutes, I'll share a number of examples of appropriate investments at the second level, as well as the first, of course. The third level will produce the growth or provide the growth for your portfolio. So this is the one that will expand your portfolio faster than the other investments. The top level, we can have investments that provide aggressive returns. Since we already have the cash and income and even the growth, so even if those aggressive investments were totally worthless, the other three levels of our portfolio would provide the cash, income, and growth to keep us going. Now, as I mentioned, many investors with a small portfolio are tempted to skip the bottom levels and build a top-heavy portfolio. When life happens, they look around at everybody else to blame. The rich people that manipulate the market, or maybe Wall Street executives, or the economy, which is, of course, the government's fault, or their company if they lose their job. Incidentally, many novice investors know better than us old folks that have been investing the market in many bull markets, bear markets, and even crashes. They figure they can pick the next 10-bagger stock, you may recognize that phrase from an infamous investor, like Microsoft or Apple or Google or maybe Walmart, those names that just went from a very small investment to be worth a lot of money. Or maybe the fastest growing stock in the energy market, like Enron. Or maybe the next fast growing technology company, like AOL, that later bought a huge uh, media company didn't work out too well, or the next Yahoo, which went up into the hundreds of dollars per share, and it's not even close today. And I won't mention Facebook, since it's far too early to tell if the initial hiccups they had in going public will turn out to be a one-time problem or fatal. Let's move on to page seven, but the bottom line there was, if you have a top-heavy portfolio, it can tip over. Okay, on page seven, as I mentioned, this uh, level is designed to provide cash and income. In the presentation, I show most of the relevant investment types that you want to consider for this first level. Keeping some portion cash in bank accounts or money markets is very appropriate. Not just for those rainy days, by the way. But you also will keep that cash available 
if you want to invest um, at some time, uh, let's say you need a minimum investment to, to, to go into some bond fund. Well, you need to accumulate that cash until you have that minimum investment. Or you might want to be waiting for a more opportune time to buy. For example, if somebody buying stocks would have been better off buying today than they were two months ago. In the presentation, I have a question mark next to bank CDs. Regular listeners know that I'm not a fan of these quote-unquote investments. There are penalties for withdrawing early, and generally the returns are so low that using a mix of the other investments would be far better. I mentioned MP3s instead, which, by the way, is an instrument that um, BI Solutions Corp. developed. It's characteristics of a bank CD in terms of the um, short-term nature and uh, ability to uh, get at the money and a blend of short-term bonds. It's backed by the company's assets and real estate portfolio. The person who inspired the MP3 name was jokingly saying, you know, over a converse, casual conversation, saying CDs are old technology. No one uses CDs anymore, as I was trying to describe my dilemma with bank CDs. He was saying everybody should be focused on the new technology, MP3s. Nobody uses those CDs anymore, and, and they definitely won't in the future. And as annoyed as I was that he wasn't listening to my comments, I, that computer analogy eventually stuck. And the name MP3 was born. It stands for multiplying your profits threefold. Ah, a little marketing. Anyway, other investments to consider are short-term bonds. And I'll emphasize the short term in there. You see, even treasury bills, which are among the safest investments, and the government can always print some money to pay you off, even treasury, bill, treasury bills can go down in value when interest rates rise. Now, do you recall the bond teeter-totter we discussed on a prior show? If not, put that list. I'll put that on your list of archives to listen to. The shorter the maturity, the lower the volatility, and thus, the lower the risk. Whole life insurance is also appropriate uh, at this level since you protect your family in the case of death. And secondly, you can access the cash value of that portfolio almost any time, which we covered in our series on OPM, Other People's Money. So people that are, haven't listened to this show in the past, I'm giving you some ideas of shows to listen to. For those of you who feel we should have covered the investment period much sooner. I just mentioned two good examples of how prior shows help people understand, help our listeners understand why uh, these are appropriate, appropriate investments at the lowest level of their pyramid. For somebody who's nearing retirement or already retired, then fixed annuities or the pensions they have are part of this lowest risk level. And I'll also mention that conservative private mortgage loans, the ones with short duration, since they have very low risk of missing payments or losing principal, are also appropriate at this lowest level and certainly will be providing the highest returns of any of the things listed. I left them last on my list since they are real good examples of how a novice investor would rather not do those. They'd rather jump into something more aggressive which may have a higher return, but also have a much higher risk of loss and a risk of income from them. In my case, money markets and these conservative private mortgage loans are the primary investments in the base of my pyramid. So yes, I walk the talk. Plus, I do have a whole life policy that I've, placed, I've had in place for about 30 years. Obviously, I was only about six or seven years old at the time I started it. 
Now, my bottom line recommendations, build a solid base before you start investing in the next levels of your pyramid. A good way to measure how good the base already is, is ask yourself the question, if all my other income stopped, okay, you lost your job, uh, your other income, if it's your own business, failed, would I be able to live for three to six months on this base? And I should add, the investments in this level are not necessarily stagnant. As you later add to the other layers and your monthly budget rises, you should add to this base. On the other hand, you might decide that if there's sufficient income coming from your first two levels that you move some of these funds to expand the third and fourth levels. Again, buying at opportune times. Let's move on to page eight. Okay, I'll do that as well. Just make sure I have the right notes in front of me. This level, the second level, is designed to provide you growth and income. The objective of the first level, as you recall, was to have enough money to live for three to six months with no other income. As so many things in life, many more people talk about doing that than really do it. My evidence? We have millions of people as examples who walked away from their dream homes as they lost jobs or their income was reduced in 2007 through 2012. And it's not over. We just had a client leave us because they couldn't make their payments. The objective of the second level is to replace a portion of your income so that you could survive without outside money for an extended period of time. Now, I said survive. I'm not talking about living lavishly or even maintaining your current standard living. I'm talking about feeding your family and paying for basic needs for maybe a year or more and ideally not spending the principal in this level, merely using the income from these investments. Gee, does this start sounding like generating passive income and having your money work for you? Well, it should. What investments are appropriate here? Well, I list them on the slide. Bonds or bond funds? Personally, I prefer bond funds most people. And yet, I've put a question mark there. This may not be the time to be doing it, since interest rates are more likely to rise in the future than continue to go below zero. Now, recognize these bond funds can go down in value. So your objective, if you do have them, is your objective is to generate income. You're not too worried about necessarily appreciation. You should also consider balanced funds, where the fund manager is investing 50 or 60% of the assets in, let's say, stocks and the remainder in bonds. Dividend bank stocks, and specifically utility stocks, are great for this second level. Uh, master Limited Partnerships, which we haven't really covered fully on this show yet. So we're planning a show with Jason Slade to cover them along with similar investments. In many ways, they're like utility stocks, but often focused on the income from the utility infrastructure, like pipelines. And lastly, I would include, again, conservative private mortgage loans. Although you now can include maturities of three or five years or even longer in this level, I'll remind you, the objective of this level is to have sufficient income to survive without a job for an extended period. Notice, if you're able to replace 100% of your income without having to spend the principal in this uh, first, uh, first and second level of your pyramid, you are financially independent. Now, I'm not suggesting you wait to start developing your third and fourth layers until you've replaced 100% of your income. Even 10 or 20% might be sufficient 
and you're ready to move up the pyramid. But notice that 100% point. At that point, you don't need a job. Okay, let's move ahead to page 9, which takes us to the third level. And third level is the one that provides growth for your portfolio. If you have a stable base and sufficient income coming from your second level of your pyramid, you're now ready to build your wealth. What investments would you include at this level? Well, growth stocks, high-yield bonds, which incidentally we used to call junk bonds for a good reason, direct investment in real estate, or REITs, real estate investment trusts, which we need to cover on a future show. Royalty trust, if you have a fairly high income tax rate, we'll cover these when we talk about master limited partnerships. How about adding some gold and commodities to your portfolio? In general, I'd say about 4 5% of your overall portfolio. Today, with the inflation tendency, you might even put 5% in gold and 5% in commodities. Uh, and when I say gold, gold and silver, both, uh, both good um, hedges. As I mentioned in prior shows, these commodities in your portfolio are like garlic in your cooking. A little bit of garlic enhances the meal. A lot of garlic can destroy that meal. In this level, I would now switch to using high-yield private mortgage loans. They're riskier than the conservative ones we had in the first two levels, but much higher returns. And this is the point you want to consider having your own business. The first two, uh, even if that business, let's say you did start a business, and that business had very little income for the first few months or even a year or two, which is not unusual with many startup businesses, the first two levels of your pyramid will take care of you. As you grow this third level of your pyramid, you're growing your financial independence. Let's move on to page four for the topping off ceremony. This is the fourth level of your investment period pyramid, and the investments in it will provide aggressive returns, which means there will be more risk associated with them. Now, notice the difference between being the fourth stage of your pyramid and the young investor I used in my example. Recall he put all his money in aggressive investments. You see, in your case, by building your pyramid and now starting with aggressive investments, you already have income and growth in your other levels. So even if those higher risk investments go down in value for an extended time, you're not in trouble. What are some of these investments? Well, commodities and currencies, options and futures. I would definitely add managed futures, which we talked about on our last show with Tom Foreman. If you missed that show, here's a good chance to go back to the archive. You can start using margin financing, which allows you to, first of all, have some of those um, futures and uh, uh, naked options. It also allows you to have short positions or having more than 100% of your money invested. Great to do when you're very bullish about the stock market. You can consider early-stage startup companies. Although, unless you're an expert in valuating these companies, investing in private equity funds might be a better way. Hedge funds fit in this top level, as would direct investments in real estate. And um, I would even add here, of course, uh, commercial real estate, not just uh, not just the uh, real estate that we added in our third level. As I sum up this topping-off ceremony, at this stage, you are a millionaire. 
if you're envisioning jumping into this fourth level with only $10,000 in your portfolio, then I would say you really haven't developed a stable base. And you should be focused on the first and second levels for quite a while longer. Now, we have one more key topic I promise to cover, but before we continue. For our listeners that just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion out in the archive, and if you missed prior shows, you can find the archives on www.wealthdna.us. Today, we're discussing building your portfolio. We've covered how to build your investment portfolio, and we're just about to switch over to page 11 of the presentation that we have, so you can follow along. We'll talk about using your investment pyramid once you decide to retire. You see, during retirement, instead of building your pyramid, you're, you're actually going to use your pyramid to become a significant source of your income. And I have some great news. You don't have to learn a whole new structure for your retirement pyramid. And if I've, and you've structured as I described in the show, your investments, um, uh, the, the conservative ones, will provide you income for the rest of your life. And a significant portion of your pyramid will still be available to pass on to your heirs or your favorite charities. Now, by the way, if you don't have a favorite charity and you don't have heirs you really want to leave money to, think about leaving it to your humble host of the Wealth DNA Radio Show. Now, during retirement, using your pyramid is as simple as remembering the accounting phrase FIFO, which, of course, means first in, first out. In other words, the money you put into the pyramid first, the money in the base, you'll use first. Now, I know this sounds counterintuitive at first since we talked about building a stable base. You probably are worried you'll be weakening the pyramid after spending years trying to build it, but stay with me for a few more minutes. Let's say you... It's always better to use an example, I think. So let's say you need to withdraw $5,000 per month for your, from your pyramid to, to uh, live um, and cover your expenses. I'm suggesting you take it from the first layer. It will probably be the cash or the money market funds you have available or the income from your short-term bonds and private mortgage loans. Now, if there's not enough to cover the $5,000 you are trying to uh, withdraw, you're going to sell some of those short-term bond funds or renew some of the smaller private mortgage loans, or not renew, excuse me, uh, let them expire, some of the uh, smaller private mortgage loans as they come due. And each month, you'll move the income from your second level to replenish your first level instead of reinvesting it at the second level. This would be the interest on your bonds, the interest on your private mortgage loans, and the dividends from the stocks in that second level. So, Maybe now I have you worried that your second level is no longer growing since you're not reinvesting there, but instead you'll take income from the third level and invest it in the second level. So if you sell some stocks because they're up a lot, you'll move those proceeds down a level. At most, you're going to move $5,000 a month down a level. Any more than that, and you'll be growing your lower level, which you don't need to do. You just let it accumulate, and you should let it accumulate and grow in the second, third, and even fourth level. Now, some of you may have heard this concept called buckets or buckets of money. And I will credit uh, Ray Lucia as the authority on that concept. I'd recommend you buy one or more of his books on that topic. And after you buy the book or books, what will give you even better results is to read them. 
Now, Ray Lucia describes this process in detail using his buckets terminology and even provides you formulas to keep your pyramid in balance. If you're not creating sufficient income in your pyramid to maintain the lifestyle you're chosen, which is $5,000 per month in my example, you have a dilemma. Do you cut back on your lifestyle or your budget just a little bit so that the principle in your pyramid doesn't shrink? Or do you periodically sell some assets when markets rise? If you have a large position in equities or in gold or managed futures and they've gone up a great deal, you might want to take some profits and move those profits down a level. Now, I'll remind you, no one has ever lost money taking profits. Notice the advice I'm giving you is... Uh, how to use your pyramid or retirement is totally different what most financial advisors suggest. Most will say you pull out the same percentage out of each asset class. So let's say you'd say 4% of your bonds, 4% of your private mortgage loan, 4% of your stocks and commodities, etc. First, well, that's not terribly practical. And secondly, it will not give you the desired results, especially try selling 4% of a rental property. I've mentioned dollar cost averaging in the past, and I hope to dedicate a show to it in the uh, future. It is a great way to build your portfolio and your, therefore your pyramid. But if you continue to use that dollar cost averaging when you're withdrawing money from your pyramid, which is what financial advisors often recommend, it's a great way to destroy it. Personally, I'd rather see your pyramid, and specifically the third and fourth levels, continue to grow during retirement, not to shrink. I'll use a phrase that Harvecker, the author of The Secrets of Millionaire Mind, uses. Think of your pyramid as a golden goose. If you take care of your golden goose, it will take care of you forever. If you kill your golden goose, there will be no more golden eggs. Okay, we're going to start wrapping up some of these topics and actually going to cover a few extra things. But let's switch to page 12 of the presentation. A very simple graphical summary. During the years while you're working and accumulating your wealth, you're building your pyramid. That's the arrow coming into your pyramid. If you structure your pyramid or your portfolio, as I've suggested, using the blend of investment types at each of these levels before moving up the pyramid, you will have built a golden goose. You see, a properly structured pyramid will provide you income for the rest of your life and may never require you to reduce the size of the pyramid in the process. If you're able to live on the income generated by this golden goose, you continue to nurture it. You feed it well. You let it keep growing. Your income potential grows over time rather than shrinks. Now, in a recent show, we talked about the prospects for inflation. So if your pyramid can provide you just enough income that you need today, I would say you need to continue to grow it. Let's go back to my example of a very conservative investor within 10 years of retirement who chooses to invest all his money in the bank CDs to avoid risk of loss. Now, he was very conscious of the risk of loss, but he was not conscious of the risk of the declining buying power with inflation. I've mentioned this many times before. Not investing can be riskier than investing. Now, let me add a few concepts that fit in very well with this investment pyramid. The version of the investment pyramid we put together for the show is probably far better than you find in almost any other resource. And we have checked a number of them. 
you have to carefully check the source of the advice behind any pyramid you find. And I'll share one good example. I found a version of the pyramid with five levels, and the base level was gold and silver. Then the second level was essentially the cash and income level I described as the first. Now, I wasn't surprised, and you may not be surprised, when I tell you that the company that published that version sells gold and silver. Now, I happen to be a fan of gold and silver today in November 2012 and have been for the last several years since we are likely to see inflation and devaluation of all currencies in the world. But that doesn't change my view of where gold and silver belong in your portfolio. They don't provide any income and thus don't belong in the first two levels. Just imagine having all your rainy day funds invested in gold and silver between, let's say, 1979 and 1999, a 20-year period, which everyone would consider a long investment period, so plenty of time to... uh, kind of take care of volatility in most cases, right? Well, let's say you invested $100,000 at that uh, end of 79, uh, early 1980, and then you lost your job and needed some income in that 20-year period. Your only option would be to sell some gold or silver, and you'd be selling at a price that might be as much as 70 to 85%, not 17, but 70, 70 to 85% lower than the peak in 79 and 80. Since gold dropped 70% and silver dropped 85% during that time. Wow, maybe that's one disadvantage of using my term golden goose. Someone might think the goose is supposed to be invested in gold. No, the golden goose is another way to view your investment pyramid. Most of the investments I mentioned for the fourth level require you to be an accredited investor. If you're not familiar with that term, the definition of an accredited investor depends on the country you live in. In the U.S., you'd either have to have $200,000 per year of income or $300,000 joint income if you're married, or at least $1 million in assets excluding your home. In other words, at least $1 million in IGAs. Remember that phrase? Income generating assets. So even securities law has been designed to keep inexperienced investors and those with small portfolios from jumping into high-risk, high-reward investments that are not appropriate for them. Does that sound like something you heard on this radio show today? Okay, third point I'd like to add, direct investment in real estate. Recall I didn't suggest gold and silver in the first two levels since they don't generate income. Real estate does generate income, and I also didn't suggest it for your, until your third level. Now, astute investors will recognize that private mortgage loans are indeed a direct investment in real estate. But since they're loans, they're much safer than owning real estate, and they are appropriate for the first two levels. The reason I don't recommend owning real estate in the first two levels is a point I emphasized during our series on investing in real estate. And if you're new to this show, you're starting to see that if you miss prior shows or you don't go back to the archives, a lot of these things won't make as much sense. But in those shows, I mentioned you need to have a cash cushion when you own real estate. If the air conditioner fails, the sewage line collapses, roof starts to leak, or you have to evict a tenant, and let's say their security deposit isn't sufficient to cover the renovations, and then you have the property vacant for several months, well, that rental property, instead of providing you income, during that time you're actually having to pay for the repair 
and the operating expenses from the first two levels of your pyramid. You need a cash cushion. Okay, fourth point I would add, one of our missions here on Earth is to help our fellow human beings, especially those less fortunate than we are. Some people will say that growing a massive investment pyramid, you're not a good person since you're not sharing with others. I'd like to give you my personal point of view on that. I'll start with the 50% of the population don't have any savings and investments. So they don't have sufficient funds to support themselves. Even if they're very generous and share, they will not be able to help the less fortunate very much. Now, if you grow your pyramid just to the point where you can cover your own expenses, again, you won't be able to help the less fortunate very much. If you grow your pyramid to the point where it's sustaining your needs and continues to grow, you're now in a position to be generous and help others. I feel very fortunate to have developed a business model that allows me to help people that can't get ahead on their own. In the process, I can help investors grow their investment port pyramids while continuing to grow my own. As a matter of fact, with the business model we use, the more people we help, the more we earn, which means we can then help more people and help more investors, which in turn, those investors will be positioned to help more people as their pyramid expands. My uh, fifth additional and my last point, I mentioned that many people will try to build a top-heavy portfolio, a top-heavy pyramid, excuse me, uh, in order to speed up the time to grow that portfolio. Unfortunately, the odds are against them since most top-heavy pyramids will topple over. In the process of blaming others for their losses that I mentioned earlier, they'll also say something like, money isn't really all that important anyway, and that they'll be much happier without that money now. Now, this happens to be a core topic in the D portion of Wealth DNA. Recall D stands for desire the true desire to be wealthy, not just saying you want to be wealthy. And I've mentioned an alternative word, decision. Making the decision that you will do what it takes to become wealthy. If you really tell yourself that money is not all that important, it's not going to stay with you very long. And since I was listening to Harvecker's book recently, as I mentioned, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, he uses a wonderful analogy, and I'd like to steal it from him. Actually, I'm just borrowing it. He can have it back then. If you told your spouse that they really aren't all that important to you, or you said this is this to your closest friends, or maybe to your employees, they're not really important to you, would any of them stay around very long? Would your spouse stay along? Stay, uh, stay very long with you if you said she wasn't important, she or he wasn't very important to you. What we tell our subconscious is a very powerful influence on our future. If we tell our subconscious that our money is not important, it will not stay around very long. Now, I'm hoping to actually have Harvecker on the show in the near future. I think he's one of the top five people that contributes the most to the body of knowledge about personal finance and investing. I certainly hope I've helped you see the value of having a stable base to your pyramid before you try to reach for the high returns and incur the high risks that go with those aggressive investments. Of course, I should add that a great way to grow your pyramid faster is to tune into this show every two weeks. We'll share the investment fundamentals just like we did today. We'll share some great ideas and inspire you to be as wealthy as you want. 
to be. Remember, our mission here is to help one million listeners become millionaires. And together we'll be able to help many more people than we can today. The next Wealth DNA radio show is the fourth Monday of November, which will be our Thanksgiving show in honor of Thanksgiving Day in the U.S. That'll be Monday, November 26th, 9 a.m. and 9 a.m. Arizona time, that is. Same place, same time. And I promise, no more time changes for many months to come. Now, the archives of past shows are available on WealthDNA.us. If you have some questions or suggestions, whether about the investment pyramid or other topics, or you haven't received emails reminding you about the show, excuse me, um, just hit my microphone here, uh, just send an email to ron at WealthDNA.us, and we'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Uh, by the way, the next show on the Boomer and the Babe Network is at 11 a.m. this morning with um, Mandy Harrell. She's the brand manager of Wherever. It's an incontinence product, and many, many people are faced with incontinence as they age. The next few weeks might be a good time to analyze the structure of your pyramid. And if you can weather a financial storm, kind of like the storm that hit the East Coast in the last couple of weeks, if you had a financial storm like that occur in the next month or in the next year, would your portfolio, would your pyramid Hold up. Happy investing. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.